Optimism. I'm Tom Rivet Karnak. I'm Cristiano Figueres. And I'm Paul Dickinson. This week, we have a very special episode in our Race to Zero series as we delve in to the high adrenaline, all electric world of extreme E off road racing. We talk to drivers Sarah Price and Nico Rosberg and high level climate action champion Nigel Topping. Race to Zero! <laughs> Thanks for being here. Okay, so at the end of last year, we had the great opportunity to run a small series of episodes on the future of transport. And I thought that they were some of the most interesting episodes we'd done as Outrage and Optimism. And today we're going to revisit that in a smaller way. We're just going to talk about electrification of transportation, one of the hottest topics in the world right now in the response to climate change. And we're going to come at it in a very exciting way. So a bit later in the episode, we're going to delve specifically into Extreme E, which is this off-road electric racing of SUVs in remote locations. And we'll delve into that. We'll talk some of the some of the drivers. But first of all, let's just kick off, guys, because or girls, as Paul very Thank very you, thank you. I appreciate that. Me. Appreciate yeah, that. I appreciate yep, it. Yep. Thank I'm you. learning. I'm using it yeah, in normal no, speech. No, that's yeah, good. Okay. That's very good. 16% of global emissions from transportation, much higher in industrial parts of the world. This is just an essential part of the journey to deal with the climate crisis. And I would argue it's a piece that's going pretty well, right? As we learned at the end of last year, the electrification of the transport system is moving at pace for personal mobility. Different story for heavy transport. We can come into that a bit later. Would you agree with that assessment that it's going well? Well, yes, but before we go into everything that is happening. Yes, it is a sizable chunk of global emissions, as you have uh, spoken, 16%. Actually, in Costa Rica, also 30%. Wow. So it's not wow. just industrialized countries. But the other reason why it is really important to accelerate this transition of transport into non-emitting transport is health reasons. Yes. Health reasons, right? We we have been talking about this on the podcast for quite a while. Um, there was yet another report done on the relationship between fossil fuel emissions and, uh, and premature deaths. And that report puts those premature deaths at 8.7 million people a year. So you know, yes, it is definitely for climate purposes, for let's call it global pollution purposes, but it's also for local pollution and for our lung pollution. I mean, this is just such a huge thing. I don't know if I can speak for either of you two, but uh, I, you know, I look out my window and there are cars and then I go somewhere and there are cars and I go somewhere else and there are cars and I go in an airplane and I look out the window and there are cars and there are cars and there are cars and there are cars. There are so many cars, right? <laughs> And it's really a, helpful, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I'm trying to I'm trying to point to the underlying intractability of the problem. Okay, um, sorry, but, sorry. But I'm yeah. but I was going to share with you um, just one little verse from a pop song, which I think just encapsulates the sort of craziness of this. Um, 
you know, actually, there are thousands of cities in the world, but here David Byrne uh, just talks about uh, 350. And he, I think he's talking about very large cities, but he, here's where it goes. Are he you goes, going to sing, Paul? Korean, I am going to sing. I have to sing just a little oh, bit. Yes. All right, okay. Here we go. So here we go. I think Get we're going to need some preparatory jingle from Clay. Okay. Here it comes. <laughs> Distinguished listeners, the musical stylings of Paul Dickinson. 350 cities in the world, just 30 teeth inside of our heads. These are the limits to our experience. It's scary, but it's all right. And everything is finite. Now, the point behind the song and why I've recited it is <laughs> yes, because... Yes, please do please explain. Do explain. <laughs> is because I'm looking for an agent, someone. There are thousands and thousands <laughs> of listeners here. No, the point I wanted to make is that we we do have this incredible... Have you any idea how much people spend on their cars? Like your number one cost is your home and your number two cost is your car. And cars and fuel are off the charts percentage of income they they you know they demolish everything apart from from housing so we've got this big structural problem but because of the sheer expenditure on it there's also fortunes to be made in the speed of the transition and i just wanted to kind of say that i've been so excited uh, in the in the putting this episode together with you all and our wonderful uh, uh, contributors because you can see that an industrial revolution of epic scale is going to save those lives christiana and provide zero emissions transport in the in the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, it's it's the future has come forward very quickly. Um, and 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 for a long time, it's sort of range anxiety. We've talked about that on the podcast before. That's been a real issue, right? Actually, you pointed out very cleverly, Paul, a lack of electric charging station anxiety. I just recently moved. Uh, I think I've mentioned on this podcast down to Devon, and I had someone over here the other day to look at my home, and um, they said that for a my energy use for about a four and a half kilowatt solar system plus a battery and an electric charging point, I would have no electric bills and never have to spend anything on refueling a car. So that's an upfront cost of some thousand pounds, of course. But the outcome is that I would have solar battery and a, and a, and a car sitting in the driveway that would be charged in a manner that if you can then get it financed, actually becomes cheaper and pays back over just a few years. That's amazing, right? That that's and, like, and I, that in a country that is not... Particularly well known for solar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundreds of solar panels oh, sitting. Hopefully, really? in the I wonder, rain. I wonder no, no, what exactly. country. I wonder what country on this podcast is much better known for sun. Never mind. Saudi Arabia. No, no, that's, that's not the one. True. Hang on, let me think for a minute. Yes, we um, could be in direct competition. But anyway, yeah, even in rainy Devon, that's possible, right? And it's you know it's expensive, but if you look into the overall costs, it's affordable. It pays back within a few years. That is a real indication how far this technology has come. And that's why we're moving so fast, right? I mean, in just the years since Paris, when still, let's be honest, this was regarded basically as an impossibility that we would make this transition quite as quickly as we have. We now have hundreds of cities around the world that have declared an end to the internal combustion engine, sometimes within five to 10 years. We've got increasing numbers of jurisdictions, countries and regions that are banning new sales of internal combustion engine, Norway by 2025, the UK by 2035, California by 2035, Canada by 2040. That's just a few. And of course, also all of the companies that have now come forward and said that they see their future as electric or zero emissions vehicles. 
the number of companies that have now pledged to only manufacture electric vehicles really within dates that are basically tomorrow in strategic planning terms from a business perspective. General Motors 2035, Jaguar Land Rover 2035, Ford 2030, Volvo 2030. I mean, this is huge. We are going to see in the next 10 to 20 years a complete transformation of the transport system. It's going to become almost completely electric for passenger vehicles. It's going to clean up our air. This is fantastic. We're going to live through it. Live through it? We're going to celebrate it. What do you mean live through it? Now, you know what I think is so exciting about this is, um, yes, I'm very excited to see more electric vehicles um, on the on the roads, but it's actually going to mean less vehicles on the roads. Mm. And, ah, yes, um, and yes. the other piece, the other piece that I think is so exciting is how electricity storage is going to be integrated between homes or offices and buildings and cars because you know the what what you're going to have in common there between buildings homes offices schools whatever shopping centers and your vehicles is battery storage and so all of a sudden that artificial silo thinking that you need a separate battery for your car and a separate battery that operates completely independently for your building home or whatever, that's going to fall away. And you will see the exchange of electricity storage among all of these batteries. And all of a sudden you will conceive, you can conceive of a city as a huge distributed electricity battery and storage system for everything that is electrified. It's absolutely amazing. Paul, tell us what well, we're missing. Why, why isn't it as good as Cristiano and I say? No, it's even better. It's even better. <laughs> Let me tell you why it's even better. Okay, here's the thing. Let me tell you this is a little, little bit of politics lesson. I think okay? we need a pessimist on this podcast. Sorry, carry on, <laughs> I want some, I want, I want, can I have some more educational music? Because you did such a great job last time, Clay. Here's the lesson in politics. Politics is not what it used to be. You used to vote every five years and then the government would run things, but it doesn't work like that anymore. Now what happens is you pull into a petrol station, for example, and you put some petrol in your car and a little bit of the money goes to a company that may well be lobbying against laws uh, to, to, to tax fossil fuels. Or you go and buy a car, a petrol car or a diesel car, and some of that money will go in to lobbying against uh, electric vehicles, all right? Not always, but, but that's how it has been for a long time. When you buy these electric vehicles, when you buy the renewable energy you're talking about, Tom, the money's going to go into uh, laws supporting more uh, clean air, more uh, electric charging points. We've got to recognise that whenever we buy the bad stuff, we're also kind of voting with our money for the bad stuff. And when we buy the good stuff, we're voting with our money for the good stuff. It's not just commerce, it's also linked to politics. And that's why it's double, triple, a thousand times good news. But they're still very expensive, though, aren't they, of course, electric vehicles? No, really. <laughs> Is it not the case that the extraordinary uh, link of uh, China's Saic Motors and General Motors has got the Honang Mini priced at $4,230? Isn't that brilliant? That's not 100% electric. Price, right? 100%, that's amazing. Okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> Christian is looking thoughtful, like, we're missing this target. <laughs> Come on, Christiana, bring us back down to now, earth. We're forcing now, you to yeah, play yeah, that yeah. Role. Let's bring us. Let's bring this back down to earth. Now, the fact is that we do have uh, quite a bit of um, 
uh, homework here between what we've just described, which we will experience, but is not currently the reality. So um, electric charging stations and the whole network for that certainly needs to be invested in, as well as we need to bring the price of batteries down for sure. But all of that is part of the, let's call it the infrastructure that is necessary for this new technology and is infrastructure that will be helpful for many different applications. That's what I think is so interesting mm. um, because once you have what I think is called biodirectional flow of electricity um, between storage points and electricity uses, then you, you really open up so much more can be done. And so electrification as a modernization of our now pretty antique industrial uh, capacity is, um, is going to open up so many other possibilities, is going to increase demand for electricity, increase demand for electricity. Um, and of course, then we have to make sure that the supply, the increased supply of electricity is clean, as Tom is doing with his home. Because if we increase demand of electricity and that electricity is actually co-based, then we have uh, electrified, but we are polluting more. So let's remember, you know, that there are many things still to be done. A, we have to clean the electric system, electric system from coal for sure. We have to put out the infrastructure. We've spent decades, decades, decades in infrastructure fueling um, for the ICE car, for the internal combustion engine car. And we will have to invest into the infrastructure for um, electric and other non-polluting cars. But the fact is you do have, as you Brits call, petrol stations or in the United States, gas stations already most everywhere. So can they be retrofitted? And could they be the points yes. at which you charge your vehicle? Yeah, you still own the property. It's right by the roads. So, you know, they're periodically spaced. It's absolutely perfect, right? You just change. There's a lot of infrastructure. That's what they're doing right now across the UK and across the, well, across the world, right? I do think it's as a smaller side. I think we need to change something in our language. We're calling them ICEs, ICE, and we keep calling for the end of ICE, which is really unfortunate for people like us working in climate change. Um, of course, we mean the internal combustion <laughs> engine, not the ICE on the yeah, polarized. Yeah, yeah. I hate all acronyms i hate all acronyms i spend about half my day looking up somebody saved themselves about a millionth of a second putting down a four or five letter acronym and i've spent an hour on google trying to work out what on earth they meant and i nearly swore <laughs> in addition in addition friends uh to the um infrastructure challenges that we have for electrifying transport let's also remember a huge challenge that is between us and a happy electrification of transport which is job loss. Because these vehicles are being produced with much higher automation, if not robotization, they're actually using less and less humans to produce these vehicles, which means that there is job loss in the car industry. So just last Sunday, Volkswagen announced that it would be looking to retire or semi-retire up to 4,000 of its staff in order to invest in the green tech. Um, and they're not the only ones. So, you know, just transition, which is something that we have discussed a lot on this um, 
on this podcast really needs to be kept front and center. These 4,000 people, okay, many, some of them at least are perhaps retirement age and can go home um, and in peace, but there may also be start career or mid-career people who all of a sudden found find themselves that they were working for an industry that, you know, or for a technology that has been stranded or that is being stranded. And so very important to retrain these people, to give them the capacity, the skills, the knowledge to be able then to move into an economy that is using much more advanced technologies and not leave them behind. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's, it's terrible when you see that these transitions end up creating these knock-on effects that, of course, are so painful for, for individuals and, and collectively. I mean, the reality is, of course, if, if this transition costs us jobs and costs us livelihoods, we won't get very far with it, right? Because actually no, the democratic exactly. system will snap back and will prevent it from happening. So we need to be really aware. In this particular instance, I wasn't clear whether um, the reason they were laying them off was because this new manufacturing required less people or because they needed to redirect capital. So it was more of a... I think it's tr- both. It's both. Okay. I think it's both. Yeah. So because, it- you know, I mean, just just think about it. Those electric vehicles need way fewer parts, right? Yeah. Way fewer parts. Yeah, fewer parts of manufacturing. And, and the, the other bit in here that will be a knock-on effect and will probably be more painful because it might be more invisible, but it will happen everywhere, is 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 repairs and, you know, auto maintenance shops all across the world. Um, with electric vehicles will need less maintenance. They'll need less repair because there's fewer moving parts, as you've said, which will lead to short-term job losses. Now, the economy changes all the time. We need to just make sure that as we go through that transformation, there is a pathway and a platform to skilling up, to embracing the good new jobs that this transformation will bring. But the point you're making is very important, Christiana, which is it's going to be lumpy and it's not going to work for everybody. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, I would love us to talk more and more and more about these issues over over, over the the months ahead uh, because I actually think that they're absolutely essential. We've got to get our hands on this this kind of sort of social thing because it's critical to climate change, weirdly. But what I would say is... You know, I love a car that's got less moving parts. You know, an electric motor is basically better than a than a, than an internal combustion engine. So let's let's just you know let's let's celebrate that. Yes, okay, there are job changes, uh, but you know, we actually have. Uh, we need a, a ten armies. We need a million armies of people to insulate to put up that solar you were talking about, the charging stations, the fiber optics. You know, we've got we've got so much work that needs to be done in society. And we just have to have the conviction that we can change and reorganize our economies so that we have simpler, better engines and a whole bunch of other stuff that needs doing. And by the way, COVID proves the magic money tree exists. Governments can fund this. Let's just do it. Yeah, Paul, I mean, that's all very true at a macro level, right? At a macroeconomic level, that there will be more jobs in this new economy. But if you go down to the micro, if you go down to, you know, little old me, who has been working at a traditional car car manufacturing company um, and lives in the town of that company. And all of a sudden, I lose my job and I have my whole family there and I can't just, you know, sort of pick up and leave and go insulate your home halfway across the country. So, you know, it's not as easy as all that and we shouldn't paper over it. It's definitely a challenge that needs to be faced square on. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right, Christiana. But but my just my one request is, when this is happening, let's let's make sure we don't blame climate change. 
it's not climate change causing that it's technological change that's true yeah okay so moving on christiana you mentioned earlier about the technological innovation that's going to be necessary to facilitate this transformation and that's kind of what's so exciting about the conversations we're bringing you today extreme e is right at the cutting edge of motor racing it's electric suvs that go to remote parts of the world and race with no spectators just with observation with filming and then of course millions of fans all over the world watching remotely and there is an enormous amount and we're going to delve into this in the subsequent conversations about how they're trying to change the world we're speaking to two people now who are directly associated with having created and still deeply involved here one is nico rosberg sustainability entrepreneur founder and ceo of rosberg x racing he's a formula f1 formula one race car driver who enjoyed a highly successful career in the sport in 2016 nico took the title of world champion and subsequently retired from f1 as a driver and since then he's focused on investing in sustainability and he's the founder of the green tech festival he was also an early investor in formula e and has launched a team rosberg x racing to compete in extreme e rallies this year we're also speaking to sarah price driver of the number 99 hummer ev she started her career in dirt bikes in motocross at the age of nine climbed the ranks in motorbike racing before securing a successful career as an off-road desert racer and stunt woman announced as the female driver for the chip ganassi extreme e team and it'll be the first time she's professionally raced electric vehicles so exciting to speak to these two who are coming at this issue of innovation and entrepreneurship around electric vehicles from such a different perspective from people we normally get to talk to in this space. And we were also joined by Nigel Topping in this conversation, our old friend, climate action champion, leader of the race to zero, if there is such a thing. Um, hilariously, Nigel, I think, had to leave us partway through this interview. Is that correct? What kind of person I know, just so appalling, through. yeah. Let me just tell you one thing about Sarah, by the way. She stole my dream, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Isn't but, she like 30 years younger than you? Never mind that. Like, <laughs> I, I essentially, you know, I kind of just was obsessed by motorcycles all through my childhood. And my great dream was at the age of 18 to be signed up for the Kawasaki team. Like, literally, that was my ultimate life goal. I wasn't and she was. There you go. Can you ever forgive her? Well, I, I wasn't even in motor racing or in any way famous at all. And she worked her way up by being brilliant. But that doesn't stop me being jealous. You understand? <laughs> Oh, I understand. <laughs> Thank you. Right, here we go with the conversation. And we'll be back afterwards for more chat. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Nigel, um, have you heard the... Um, the little phrase, life is short, start with dessert. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, um, it, it is, you know, something that I have done on occasions. Life is short, so I'll have dessert first. And let me say, this is what we're doing for you today. Because although you are the supreme leader here of Race <laughs> to Zero, we're actually letting you start with dessert because... You are such an enthusiast about the transformation in the transport system. Yes, and yes. that doesn't mean that your heart is not in all of the other sectors. I don't want to give that impression. Picking favorites. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Even before you became our high-level champion, you know, your, your face just 
glows when you're talking about the um, the transformation yeah. in the transport sector. And you just know so, so much about it. And you're so committed to it. So we're letting you start with dessert first um, and start with this absolutely exciting, exciting episode of not just, you know, the normal transformation in the transport sector, but extreme E. I mean, what can be more disruptive than extreme E. So we would love to know from you, uh, Nigel, how do you see extreme E and this fantastic race that is being prepared? How do you see that contributing to the transformation in the transport sector? Well, um, thank you for dessert first. I mean, uh, to all my <laughs> colleagues working on decarbonizing steel or plastics, I do love them as well. But... <laughs> That's the voice of Nigel Topping, friend of the show and high-level climate action champion, and he's leading the Race to Zero campaign. One of the key breakthrough areas for the Race to Zero is to precipitate and accelerate transformation of the transport sector. So, of course, they're very interested in what Extreme E is developing technologically, but also in terms of engaging millions of people who are not currently aware of the links between transportation and climate change. So the, I think the reason it's so so important and exciting is a it's a big chunk of the emissions, right? Everybody, you know, we know that. Um, also, the, the the combustion engine is like the iconic technology of the fossil fuel age, um, and 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 cars and motor racing and extreme motor racing exactly uh, you know, excite passion like so many people. So for people to realise that you can have exciting races with cool high tech vehicles in amazing environments, which are zero emissions vehicles. Is, is, is the sort of thing that we need everybody to understand so they don't think that you know, tackling climate change is something which means I've got to wear a hair shirt and not drive fast cars and you know just generally kind of be sad and boring. So <laughs> I think making making this real to everybody is why it's so exciting. I think, um, so So before you joined us, uh, our good friend here, Paul Dickinson, told us that he gave up school when he was eight so he could study Kawasaki motorcycles. And I think that's actually a good indication of what you're talking about, right? That's because that was exciting. It was the most, the fastest, most interesting thing that's happening. Do you feel that the race to zero has got that kind of, you know, would it make an eight-year-old Paul Dickinson give up school? Or is this what Extreme is here to do? Well, I don't, I don't think the race to zero would get many eight-year-olds leaving school. But, but... Um, you know, just the metaphor of a race is something which engages a lot of people. I mean, mm, I'm just putting yeah, yeah. this out there. A race. We see this as a race between countries, between cities, between businesses. You might, you might, you know, I did a lot. You know, I, oh, I did a lot of work with Daimler to work with Ola Kalenius, and they committed to net zero 2039. Well, you know, he's just been trumped by General Motors saying net zero 2035, and they've just been trumped by Volvo saying 2030. So there's a nice little bit of competition amongst the CEOs of the car manufacturers. You know, we're, we're competitive animals, so. We sometimes say the race to zero is the only race that we either win or lose together, but there is some competition within it as well. And that definitely attracts people um, you know, to understanding what needs to happen. The race to the top, yeah. the race to the top of yeah. decarbonization. That's the exciting thing. Uh, now, Nigel, without so, going to... Te- Sorry, Christiane. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. I, saying, I know to- Paul is so excited. He can barely, <laughs> you know, he can barely contain himself. Go well, for we it, have, We have to get all the information out of you, Nigel, before we, we go to the real experts who drive the race cars. But, yeah, yeah. Um, my question for you is, how is the race going between the petrol engine and, and the electric vehicle? Because like, it still seems like there's not so many electric vehicles around and charging points. How, how's, how's the race going? Okay, so now I get to do a little bit of math, my maths. So, you know, <laughs> but the only thing more exciting than Kawasaki when I was eight was, was mathematics. So the important thing is we know that every time we've had a major technological disruption, it doesn't happen 
it linearly, like, you know, 5% this year, 5% next year, 5% the year after. It always takes ages to get going, and then suddenly it goes exponential. So that's what's happening with this race between the um, electric vehicle and the combustion vehicle is that suddenly it's going exponential. So in Germany, just last week, they announced that the volume of electric, the, the percentage of electric vehicles in the market is three times what it was a year ago. So it's like 21%. And if you add hybrids, it's 37%. So people, so I, what I would say is beware anyone who says, oh, EVs are only 5% of the market or they're only 10% of the market. The question is, how quickly has that doubled? Because hmm. that tends to be consistent. So if they've gone from five to 10 in a year, they're probably going to go from 10 to 20 and then from 20 to 40 then 40 to 80. So then suddenly it's all over. So that's, that's what's happening. And this is, this is why extreme it's right in the middle of that, making everybody aware of what's possible and getting them excited about it so that people want to be about it. You know, people, no, no, no teenager right now is ever going to buy a combustion engine vehicle. In fact, they may not even buy a vehicle. They might not even buy a vehicle. They may they may, <laughs> may move to straight to a shared vehicle. To, yeah. I'd love I'd love to know if ni, ni, so. Nico Rosberg um, is on the line as well. Nico, do you agree with that? No teenager today will buy an internal combustion engine vehicle. Well, I wouldn't see it that black and white because there's still <laughs> there's still the odd uh, teenager who will love the the, the V10 Lamborghini at the moment out there. Um, but yeah, but are, how can I afford it? No teenager can afford a V10 Lamborghini. <laughs> I'm afraid some can. I'm afraid some Give can. It, uh, put it, make it a Nissan or whatever else then. Um, That's Nico Rosberg, former Formula One driver and 2016 world champion, as Tom said earlier. And today, he's a very successful cleantech entrepreneur. His latest venture, Rosberg Extreme Racing, a team in the new Extreme E Championship who will race in five locations across 2021. So what is Extreme E? It's a brand new motorsport series consisting of five rallies, or Expres, as they call them, taking place in locations that have already been degraded by climate change. Teams of two drivers, one male, one female, race in all electric SUVs to draw attention to the vulnerability of the ecosystems around them, such as a glacier, a desert, a coastal area, and the Amazon. Have a look in the show notes for the links to learn more. And especially now with the last couple of months where the first really awesome electric cars are coming out. I mean, Tesla, we're seeing them with the with the Roadster. Then we're seeing uh, other car companies like Remac. It's really making electric cars cool. Um, and I really want to play a role in that as well. Uh, and this is where Extreme E comes in as well on an SUV basis, you know, making SUV electric cars just absolutely awesome mm -hmm. and thrilling to inspire the whole generation now that's coming up. Exactly that, to buy electric cars. <laughs> The sound you're hearing is the engine noise of the electric SUVs the Extreme E teams will be driving, recorded during actual test races. It's a distinctive high-pitched sound and very different from the engine roars we've become accustomed to. And it's exciting to think this is the sound of high-performance vehicles that future generations will come to consider the norm. And Sarah, how different is it for you as a as a race car driver? How different is it for you? Not not the technical part, which we can talk about now later, but just the context. How how do you understand racing an internal combustion engine versus racing an electric? So being a part of Extreme e is completely new for me. So being involved in the electric market is something new as well. Sarah Price is a lifelong off-road racer who's competed in a variety of motorsports, motocross, rally, super trucks, and is now competing for Chip Ganassi Racing in the Extreme E Series. 
you know, I come from, they like to call us the wild, wild west of off-road. We're kind of, you know, a little <laughs> bit behind the times when it comes to racing in the dirt. But Roughnecks, <laughs> but that's sort of gold, yeah. It's yeah. more, in some ways, very exciting. They're both exciting, but it's a bit more kind of, kind of on it, frontier. Yeah, yeah. It was funny, you know, like Chip Ganassi racing was like, you know, we're kind of not sure. You guys are like more like cowboys and cowgirls out there. So um, coming into this <laughs> world, it's been awesome. It's been eye-opening. It's been... Um, you know, exhilarating to to learn about, you know, the impact we're going to make racing these like, extreme e electric vehicles and the people we're going to be able to touch by doing so. So yeah, it's exciting. Hmm. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I mean, how do you think that the sport itself? I mean, extreme. Uh, the, the 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 Formula E has has done an incredible job of sort of showing the technical side. Extreme E is going to be uh, like a, a chance to sort of see these vehicles in the world. But I mean, are there many of these sort of larger SUV type electric vehicles yet on the market? Yeah, definitely. So Hummer EV is going to be our OE for Extreme E program. And it is a super truck. It's a it's a large vehicle. It's going to be on the electric platform and it has extreme off-road capabilities. So like it has, you can crab walk sideways in rocks. You can take it to the desert, you, you know, <laughs> and you have technically basically a thousand horsepower. Um, and that's unreal. Wow. It's maximum wow. torque at zero RPM, I remember being told, which is like a little bit better than a petrol engine, right? What, what does OE mean? Sorry. Uh, just the, the manufacturer. Okay. Original equipment, Paul. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so can I ask, um, you know, because I know, Nigel, we don't have you for a very long amount of time, but, you know, you're sort of like sitting in the middle of this process where you're trying to get the whole world to focus on this rapidly emerging transformation in the transport sector and others. Um, here you have this incredibly high-profile race that's going to be going around the world. What do you what do you hope that this will deliver this year in 2021 as we try to focus the world's attention? Then we're going to delve into kind of the specifics of what Extreme E is and and how people can participate. First of all, I think it will. I hope that it will um, it will attract attention to the fact that this is a race that we can win. And that, and, and, that, and that it doesn't have to that be. We all, all that we can all win. All win. That we can all win. You know, that, I mean, when I talk about the race to zero, I mean, you know, by the way, very excited that we've got a little race to zero logo on all of the extremely uniforms. So that's. Nice. that's, Yay! that's Excellent. Uh, so I'm really excited when I saw that. Um, bring people's attention to that. This is a race we can win. That actually, you know, we have a, we're amazing innovators, right? We set engineers a challenge. Yeah. They solve yeah. it. They say, you know, drive a car in the desert or in the ice cap at high speed. You know, with 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 electric force only, we we can solve for that. I think we need to trust our engineers a lot more. And then and then the other thing is to um, use that as a platform with the amazing reach that Extreme E's got with with people like Nico and Sarah to reach millions of people who and 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 you know through the countless in partnership to realize that every individual can take actions which contribute to the race to zero to contribute to the transformation that we need. So I think I, I mean I think this is just an amazing opportunity to really take all of the work that we've all been doing from the sort of rather geeky back rooms out, out into the world of ordinary sports fans. And I have a question for you or maybe for Nico or for both of you, which is um, the Formula E has always been arguing that that is such a good platform for technical innovation that is created, designed and developed for the race, but that then gets mainstreamed into, you know, the, the street cars or the street vehicles. Um, and, and I've seen this, right? Um, and I'm sure Nico has, uh, has, has witnesses, as Sarah as well. What 
pieces can you identify or can you that are actually going to be disruptive that have been designed and executed from extreme e that will then get mainstreamed into the the um the the SUVs of the hopefully very near future well a lot of it is in the electric motor where if I take some examples for the German car manufacturers like Audi and Mercedes who are in Formula E, there are some parts of their electric motors that are now in their road cars, which I just ordered one for home actually. I ordered, ordered, an, ordered an Audi e-tron. So there are some parts of the motor in my Audi e-tron, which I'm going to be driving my kids to school in, which have come about as a result of the development of the electric motor in Formula E. And so this is so beautiful when motorsport can play such a powerful role in race to road transfer of technology where we all get to benefit from this development race eventually. Um, and that's fantastic. And that's what I love so much about Extreme E and Formula E. Do you, do you think Extreme E will help that, will accelerate that technological development for um, SUVs? Absolutely, yes. So uh, Extreme E will take up that role more and more. Of course, in the beginning, you can't allow yourself as a championship to open up technical development too much because then for me as a team owner, it just becomes way too expensive. So they have to... And you start keep... getting nervous, probably. <laughs> exactly. No. So at the moment, they have to like keep it under control and really limit stuff. But as the championship grows, then you can start to open up the technical development a lot as well. But in the beginning, obviously, with Extreme E, there's also this very other dimension where... The sport was built on a social purpose. And it's the first time ever, I think, that a sport has been built so focused yep. on a social purpose. I mean, that's the reason for its existence. And that is so beautiful, yep. I find, uh, and so powerful. And this is, why, this is why I love being a part of this. And then also the sport wants to be a role model as well. So let me give an example. There's a partnership with a fuel cell generator company called AFC Energy. And they're going to be powering all of our electric race cars and the whole paddock and everything on site in the glacier in Greenland using hydrogen. Um, so mm. it's going to be totally emission free uh, using these generators. So this is, uh, this is really how, as a sport as well, we want to pioneer and we want to be a role model in that sense. So there's so many amazing aspects uh, with this Extreme E. And um, before, um, Nigel, I think we have to let you go. Um, but I would like to ask you, Nigel, how, how, what magical wand did you use to make sure that Extreme E has its first uh, race in 2021, <laughs> just before COP26? How did you manage that? <laughs> so much, so much serendipity in life. Don't, don't, don't know, but, just, but, but, but you know, really, really, really glad. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry, I've got to go now, but I'm really thrilled with. It. Like Nico mentioned it. It's the first time anyone's designed a program for social purpose exactly. from scratch and I, I had heard nico that you were using um kind of uh low carbon diesel for the generators but that's that means that my notes are already out of date right because you've already leapfrogged that idea to go to fuel cell generators so um and i know you're doing really cool stuff with the shipping and with the with the spectator platform so i i think it's it's beyond the vehicle the innovation right yes. it's, the, it's the whole sport and i think that's really exciting so the Sorry, low carbon I... diesel nigel comes in with a ship so extreme e to reduce right. two-thirds of the emissions that normally a championship like this would in would uh, would emit we have, the, the championship has bought a ship which is called the santa Elena, and it's exactly the same ship as the greenpeace use uh, and the whole <laughs> paddock is on this ship uh, using um what did you call it uh, a low carbon diesel uh, and and the most efficient motors in the world has had a multi-million pound renovation to the whole engine system and the whole 
paddock is on the ship and traveling from race to race altogether. Um, and so, and then of course, with carbon offsetting, uh, we're going to be climate neutral as a, as a championship. It's fantastic. You know, my, um, just again, another example of how fast technology changes. Just, um, when was Katowice? It was 20, eighteen, nineteen. 19, um, 2019, Maersk, biggest container shipping company in the world, said they'll be net zero by 2050 and they'd have the first zero carbon boats on the water in 2030. That's quite a long lead time, right? They've got to design it, build it, blah, blah, um, But zero carbon, right? Probably using ammonia, which is a hydrogen carrier. Um, they've just a few weeks ago said, instead of 2030, the first ship will be on the water in 2023. So I think, I think you know, you should check it, take it up. By, I reckon by 2023, 2024, you'll be using a, an ammonia powered ship, which will be zero carbon. That would be <laughs> awesome. That would be super right. awesome. I'm going to leave you too. I'm really sorry. I look forward to, to, to hearing more from Sarah and Nico on the episode when it comes out. Thanks, everybody. Nigel, what's sorry? more important than speaking to us? <laughs> Good question. That's exactly. a fair question. Good question. At least nothing is more fun. <laughs> Nothing's more fun, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Nigel. Bye-bye. Bye, right. everyone. See you soon. Bye, <laughs> Well, guys, so um, just so that we don't lose sight of it, the other thing that is just amazing about this Extreme E, as Nico has already said, uh, it was started from a social purpose, a social environmental purpose. But hello, it is also the first race that is designed with gender parity. Hello, how cool is that? And um, so I would really love to... Um, to hear from Sarah for, uh, this must be a very different experience for you, Sarah, because um, if I am not totally missing my memory, one of the very difficult criticisms that Formula One has had, and to a certain extent Formula E also, is that the presence of women in this motor sport uh, was at some point, and thank God we're getting out of it, but it's, at some point, it was limited to the grid girls, which is such a terrible insult to women that you put, I mean, gorgeous women as they are, but that you stand them up there, you know, looking gorgeous in front of these fantastic cars. And that was it. So, you um, know, Formula E has really been trying to uh, to improve on that. But Extreme E starts by design putting in gender parity by making it a requisite that every team on every vehicle has to have two drivers, one of each gender, and they have to swap over. How cool is that, Sarah? Uh, it's incredible. It, it gives women the opportunity to be the forefront for the first time and, you know, race along talents like Nico. You know, you, you have team owners that have so much experience in these worlds that, some some of these women would have never gotten a chance to work with and you know, extreme me being able to have a female and a male driver i think a lot of the, the female racers that are a part of the series already you talk to them and they don't consider themselves just a female driver or the female driver they're a racer when the helmet goes on yes they're there to race yes. and it doesn't matter if you're a female or a male we're both there to do the same thing and, and that's to do the best we can and to you know work work hard and let it show on the the race course Sarah, just give us a little bit um, sense of your story. How how did you get to motor racing? How did you um, get because it's a, it's a journey, right? First motor racing, then you got to extreme e, um, and then you're beginning to insert yourself into this whole climate conversation. 
Did you foresee that you would have that journey? What does that journey look like for you? If you would have asked me five years ago, this would be where I'm sitting today. No, I would have never guessed. <laughs> but um, it has definitely been a journey. I started racing motocross on my Kawasaki's at uh, eight years old. My dad actually raced off-road cars. My brother raced dirt bikes. And so I followed in their footsteps and, you know, little did my parents know I was kind of the daredevil and just never give up attitude and just kept climbing the ranks. I turned professional at 16 years old on the motorcycle. And then wow. I started business and I started racing cars. Just one thing led to another, and being usually one of the only females against all the males, you know, it was it was something different. And you have the first judgment, I think, you know, when you show up to a track, you have the parents and you have the other the other males you're racing against, and they're like, oh, who's the girl, you know? But then they start realizing, oh crap, it's not just the girl, it's Sarah's here. We got to bring her a game. Like she's fast, you know. You earn that respect after a while and it's pretty awesome to see and especially in off-road racing you know there's still um, not as many females as I would like to see but being able to be at the forefront of that and racing you know a trophy truck down in Baja and winning the first ever time a, a trophy truck spec championship it was you know a big deal for the off-road industry and considering we're kind of behind the times in that industry so um, yeah, it's been awesome. I, I appreciate extremely, you know, going to bat for us and really putting something out there because that's a risky, that's a risky thing for them to be thinking about and for them to actually follow through with. And it's awesome. Hmm. Why is it risky? I think, uh, the backlash of media, that's something that's never been done before. And I think it's, uh, you know, they have to stand for it. And I think it's incredible because there's so many females out there that, might have the talent like the top male racers in this world, but they don't get the opportunity because of being a female, because they're not looked at first. Mm. This is now giving them the chance. Mm. I'm curious to know, how did you, because I mean, obviously you you started out in a very different area, as you said, you described this journey and presumably, I'm sure, I mean, I know you have a big following, people who followed your career in other areas and now you're doing things like talking about climate change, competing in Extreme E. How has your fan base responded to that evolution in your career and what you talk about? You know, um, going to electric and racing electric, it's something very new to our world over here in the West Coast and then off-road world. Uh, they're, they're used to big V8s, you know, very loud engines, you know, kind of just rummage through the terrain and just go as fast as you can, pedal to the metal kind of thing. And so it's had a very positive uh, impact. I think a lot of people are like, wow, like you're getting to race vehicles that look like the cars that we're racing down in in the deserts and wait they're electric like this is crazy you know like like what is it and they're asking questions they're getting more involved <laughs> they're they're realizing that this is something that's cool it's not just okay we're not just these big gasoline engines now we're we're going over to doing uh SUVs door to door racing like it doesn't get more exciting than that to me you know and people are asking questions and i think that's what's most important mm. Mm. Well, it is a dinosaur technology, the internal combustion engine. I mean, actually 
petrol is made out of dinosaurs. I mean, it's not like a metaphor that it really is made out of dinosaurs. So it's great that you're moving forward with this fantastic electric. Can I ask about this just extraordinary thing? And I guess this is a question for both of you, uh, Nico and Sarah, is like you're combining motorsport, uh, off-road motorsport with kind of highlighting um, how vulnerable some parts of the world are to climate change. I've heard it said that you're kind of combining race cars with like a David Attenborough documentary. I mean, this has never been done before. You're breaking completely new ground. It's so exciting. And I just wondered how, how, how the idea came about and how you feel about it and what you're looking forward to. Yeah, that's what I'm what I'm very excited about as well. I mean, if you're looking at Netflix recently, there's a lot of Blue Planet documentaries, which are so beautiful. And here now we're taking the angle of of bringing together motorsports with Blue Planet um, and taking the motorsports to where the earth has in, into extreme locations where the earth has already been severely damaged by and affected by climate change. Let me take an example, Senegal, where they're, they're facing huge droughts. Um, and so we're going to be racing there with the purpose to, first of all, raise a lot of awareness for what's happening in those mm-hmm. areas. But secondly, also um, as a championship with our legacy program to uh, to support local initiatives. But also from my team point of view, we have our own driven by purpose campaign where we're also going to be supporting local initiatives really heavily. And in Senegal, for example, I have, we have a big partnership with the Prince Albert II of Monaco Foundation. They're doing a lot of work there and we're going to be supporting them on site, on the ground to really accelerate their progress. No, it's, it's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And um, so, I mean, wh- where did the idea come from? Whose idea was it? Do you know what the genesis of it's it? It's the founder. It's Alejandro Agag. It's the, he founded Formula E and this is the next, uh, the next iteration of, of, uh, of his vision of make of really putting purpose into sports. I think that's uh, that's so that's, so important. That's good. Purpose into sports. You know, we had the Olympics in the UK in 2012, and the slogan was "Inspiring a generation." And I couldn't help thinking, like, could you be more specific? Whereas you've really come down. You said inspiring a generation to consider the impacts of climate change. That's amazing. Alejandro has been working on this for years, right, Nico, for years. And in the beginning, it was just, you know, sort of a dream that he had. Um, And he's been working on this assiduously on and on and on until he got, well, the support, for example, of of Nico as a team owner of fantastic drivers um, like Sarah. and, and, And it wasn't easy because, as we've already said, it is breaking many grounds Many things are completely new, completely disruptive. So it wasn't an easy journey for Alejandro. But, you know, honestly, kudos to Alejandro Agag for going, first of all, from Formula One to Formula E and then to Extreme E. (laughs) Indeed, quite a journey. Sarah and Nico, we... um, we host this podcast once a week and we always ask our guests um, how they how they feel about what they're seeing in the future. There is, there is a spectrum between outraged about the fact that we're so late on climate change and there's optimism because we see so many things happening. So um, would love to hear from both of you if that is a spectrum. Um, how do you feel about the race itself? Uh, and how do you feel about our progress on climate change? Are you more on the outrage side or more on the optimistic side? I think uh, 
on my side of things, it's important. It's something that the world's evolving and we got to take care of it. We got to take care of our planet for generations to come. And, you know, there's obviously very detrimental things happening to the planet today. And we are in control of that. And we can do a difference by doing the littlest things on our daily lives that we can spread the news and hopefully encourage others to do the same. And little by little, you know, if we have a couple million of us doing it, then it just keeps snowballing and ends up helping each other in the end. And I think it's very important to get that message out and having extreme me to do that, you know, something cool and radical that's bringing, um, you know, this, this new highlight to people who most likely probably wouldn't watch racing in any form. And now they're going to be watching it because they're like, wow, okay, you know, maybe we're the avid hikers that, you know, they, they have an electric vehicle now or they have a Prius or something. And now they're going to want to race cars. You never know, you know, like we're going to have people that are going to enter this whole <laughs> new industry and a different highlight because they're they're looking at us racing and i just think it's a it's an awesome tool to be able to do something great for the world yay nico what do you think yeah so for my part i'm kind of i go uh, to and from every every single day uh, feeling wise um outrage mm. optimist outrage optimist it really depends um on the big picture though i would probably i would certainly be as stubborn optimist as christiana would love to hear hey. I, <laughs> yay sarah we want you to be a stubborn optimist too <laughs> every time i do a piece with christiana i understand how you managed to get 189 countries together <laughs> and I, i and i totally understand how you got to be the racer that you are <laughs> there's the powerful movements that are really kicking off now in the investment world in the in the the largest organizations in the world i mean the googles and co uh, we we were just hearing before how daimler and the car manufacturers are battling themselves to go carbon neutral uh, chipping five years off each other every single time for a new announcement um, and i think that all of that together makes me quite optimistic in general then we've got the green deal and everything where again count us in is a is a is a partner with um so I, i'm very optimistic yay well it is so delightful to have you both and we're so excited about the race so excited it is just you know it captures the imagination and we know that there's going to be amazing visuals because you're not taking any audience to any of these places but everything is going to be captured Um, and they're going to be just amazing videos uh, of this race. So yeah, yet another way in which the race is, uh, is lowering its footprint. Thank you so much, Nico. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us here. And um, we will be watching. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. So how interesting to get a chance to speak with people involved in this issue that we have been so immersed in from such a different perspective, right? And with such, they, they came to it from such a different perspective. I mean, Sarah in particular, how fascinating that she just, you know, grew up basically trying to steal Paul Dickinson's dream and- um, Successfully. And successfully, successfully yeah, stealing yeah. my dream. <laughs> but, but as a result, you know, came round to the, the interest and the excitement of electric vehicles and could end up being an amazing champion and a role model for so many. So what do you guys leave that conversation with? Well, you know, um, in, I, 
I, I don't know why I'm pushing back on all of this excitement today. Um, <laughs> but I, I think we should also recognize that there is likely to be um, criticism about putting vehicles on these ecosystems. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they have been Extreme E uh, and Formula E, the parent company, have been very careful to choose ecosystems that have been degraded where there is not a huge negative, additional negative impact. But honestly, that's going to be hard to communicate. And when you see, you know, these vehicles racing in these ecosystems, um, in these five different ecosystems, I can, you know, only imagine how many um, people who are rightfully concerned about impact on these um, environments will be pretty appalled about it. So, you know, the importance of communication, I can totally see why they're doing this and it is going to make a huge impact. It's going to be very exciting when you can see this on your screen. But com the communication around this and the education is absolutely critical. And um, and I know that they know that, and they're putting a lot of emphasis into this communication, not just being snazzy and exciting and adrenaline, um, but really taking advantage to explain the science and explain what is happening in these ecosystems. Not an easy challenge. I mean, I, I really admire them for it, though. Uh, I, I got to say, I mean, they're pretty clear here. They're talking about climate change and they're linking it all. I mean, they're making S electric SUVs seem exciting, which is important, I guess, in terms of changing people's purchasing habits. But also, critically, they're driving people towards the countersink campaign. And uh, I've said before, I'm involved with a little part of that, the geeky, a zero, which is a way you can calculate, you know, your electric car's footprint versus a petrol car's footprint and work out really what the reductions are like over time. And I love the idea that they're focusing on lifestyle choices and how you can you know make them personally so in a sense there's the the, the the people are competing right in the cars but then you're competing at home watching it you're kind of part of a, a big movement in sport towards focusing on how we individually can also become champions in the carbon battle yeah good point paul it is a good point and 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 my my first reaction to it actually and I, i'm sure this would be true of many people concerned about climate change when i learned about extreme e and what they were going to do i mean racing these the, the these vehicles on the coast in senegal across greenland you know in the rainforest in brazil in patagonia i was i was quite appalled i thought oh my god what a terrible message that sends that actually we're just going to go and drive across these pristine ecosystems but then i kind of learned a bit more about it and i sort of thought well actually what they're doing is they're trying to bring a completely different audience into those environments to explain a bit more as they've got their attention on what they are, to demonstrate that these are super exciting electric vehicles. They've really gone the extra mile to think about how do they get the cars there. They've done what they can to make the ship as environmentally conscious as possible. They've really tried to do it well. And it just struck me, you know, I just think right now, Anything that reaches new people and helps them understand that this is an exciting transformation, there's enormous risk, but there's great opportunity, and it can be an exciting world that we all want to be part of, we should celebrate and we should welcome, even if it's not how we would necessarily have thought to do things, because there's something about this which does feel uncomfortable for many of us, but it might be transformative. So I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. So here's a question. Here's, here's a question. How do you think that we're going to reach more people who have never thought about climate change through something like Extreme E 
or through a 257 scientific report written in seven <laughs> languages. I've I've re- I've read a few uh, assessment reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and have you ever watched you much know, motorsport? You have, of course. Yeah, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be signed up when I was eighteen. You know, to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. <laughs> Let me put it that way. So uh, I have to tell you, I'm feeling a little bit sad after this exciting conversation because up until just a few days ago, every time I got into my hybrid car, I was feeling so you know happy about it and now it's like oh darn it's only a hybrid i want a full electric christiana your car is not half empty it is half full and i think that we need to be you know we've had some conversations about you know some aspects of extreme e you know are a little bit difficult to explain to the public but you know sarah was a delightful person is a delightful person even though she stole my childhood dream nika rosberg is so unbelievably famous there's like 50 billion trillion references to him on google and getting someone like him and and sarah involved in climate change can only be good for the movement because it's going to bring in hundreds of thousands maybe millions and millions of new people and that fills me with optimism if i may say so love it right great okay so Thanks for joining us this week. This has been a fantastic exploration into e-mobility, the future of electric vehicles. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and on with the Race to Zero all the way to Glasgow at the end of the year. Thank you for being with us this week. We've really enjoyed another of these episodes and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. So there you go, another episode of Outrage and Optimism from our Race to Zero series. This is episode two. If you have not heard the first episode, you should. It's right there exclusively on every podcast player. You can go check it out. It's just a couple episodes back. It's an investigative episode. Hope you enjoy. Outrage and Optimism is a Global Optimism production. Our executive producer is Sharon Johnson, and this episode was produced by the Big DC, Daniel Curtis and Clay Carnell. That's me. So you guys digging this music? Are you into it? You heard it on the last Race to Zero episode. It's here now. You're feeling pumped, starting to feel the groove. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you hear from us every week, so it's nice to get a special appearance from our good friend, high-level climate champion, Nigel Topping. Thanks, Nigel, for stopping by. And thank you to our guests this week, Nico Rosberg and Sarah Price. Nico and Sarah, the next time that I see you, I want a ride in that Extreme E Odyssey 21. I gotta, I don't know how we're gonna make, I don't know how much I have to beg you, but I want a ride. I really do. So, listeners, that's the name of the car build that the Extreme E-Racers will be driving. And as mentioned earlier by Paul, I've got links in the show notes for you to everything Extreme E, so go check it out. Global Optimism is Sarah Law, Katie Bradford, Lara Richardson, Marina Mancilia-Herman, Sophie McDonald, Freya Newman, Sarah Thomas, Sue Reed, and John Ward. And our hosts are Christiana Figueres, Paul Dickinson, and Tom Rivet Karnak. Okay, if you're loving this series, it means the world to us if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to find us on social media at Global Optimism. This Friday, March 19th, our social media channels are being taken over by Marina Giao. She is a Fridays for Future activist and coordinator for Climate Live Brazil. 
We couldn't be more excited to pass the mic over to her on all our social media channels again this Friday. You'll see Medina on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on Friday, but you know what? Get a head start. Check the show notes. I've got links to her social media as well. That is a wrap on this episode. But hey, great news. We have a bonus episode coming out tomorrow. We'll be hearing from Thomas Hale about the origin and state of net zero. And we'll be going through some terms that you know, but maybe you don't know as well. Carbon neutral, carbon negative, carbon positive, Paris aligned. What does it all mean? Dr. Thomas Hale has the answers. He's, he's really amazing at explaining things. So hit subscribe. We'll see you then. Five, four, three, two, one.